It is love that is so amazing and so divine that demands all that we have. God's mercy we give to Him. Not to earn His favor, but because we have His favor. So to the church, and I would encourage you to do so if that is not already a practice that you have. But You can give online, you can give in the boxes at the back of the auditorium. would also invite you to take out your connection, your bulletin, record your attendance with us this morning. We are so glad that you are here. We have access to the throne of grace. And so let us now turn to the Lord and offer our of petition to Him. Father, we pray that you would remember this of your heritage. We pray that you would help us to live lives as those who have price in view of your love so amazing, so divine. Would give not only of our finances, but of our soul, our life, our all in service to you. Empower us by your Spirit to sacrifice all things. I also pray for unity in this body which you have purchased with the blood of Your Son. You have brought us near to You through His blood. You have made us one. You have brought us near to one another through the cross as well. So I pray that You would heal divisions. Divisions in our families. That we would live in unity. I also pray for purity in the church. For those struggling with sexual sin. Remind them that they were bought with a price. That they are not their own. Flee temptation and to glorify You in their bodies. all that we have in Christ, all that He has done for us on the cross, and rejoice to know that His resurrection not only free us from the penalty of sin, but also guarantee that the effects of sin will one day be no more. That one day, turns, we will be freed from sickness and death. So we pray now for those sickness, those who are grieving death, that you would be near to them. We pray specifically for Tamara Limley as she grieves the loss of her father, for healing, peace, and above all, sweet communion with you, her heavenly Father. We pray for S&J in Southeast Asia. 
I pray that You would encourage them. I pray for endurance for them. Endurance with joy. So many difficulties along the way. They long for the people in their village. Would You grant them an open door for the Gospel? We open our hearts as well to the Gospel this morning as we turn to Your Word. That You would help me that You would encourage us with the truth and enable us to walk in the light. All for the sake of Your glory and through Your grace in Your Son. Amen. If you would please open your Bibles to 2 Samuel Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. A sure promise. And yet sometimes it feel, feels as though the gates of hell have a lot of progress. The world's banging on the door of the church, begging to let it in. Clearly an external affront against the church in our culture today. But maybe even more, it is that which is inside the church that threatens to undo us. Division within the body. To undo us. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God made a promise to David. On the heels of that promise made in chapter 7, throughout David's reign, there have been threats to this kingdom. Certainly external threats from surrounding nations, but even more troubling, the internal threats. Beginning in 2 Samuel 11, David's came to the culmination of all of the consequence of David's sin. One of his own But it was God's will to bring down Absalom as we concluded our passage last week. But beginning in our passage this morning, although the civil war is over, is set to return to Jerusalem, there are questions that remain unanswered. In America, there was still major reconstruction work Needed if the nation together. Was David up for the task? How would he treat those who had rebelled against 
against him and those who had stayed with him, how would they respond now to the newly king? Could they all be united as one under his reign? reality of a fractured kingdom. Second, right responses to the king. Forever kingdom. So a fractured kingdom, right responses to the king, wrong responses, and then a picture Beginning in verse 8, which is where our passage begins this morning, David makes a valiant effort We're left wondering if God will keep His promise of an everlasting kingdom. Let's begin by looking at the beginning and the end of our passage in chapter 19. I'll read verse 8 through 15, and then we'll skip down to the end to read verses 41 to 43. And I think you'll see these two sections hold together. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. People were arguing throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled out of the land from Absalom. But Absalom, whom we anointed over us, is dead Therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? And King David sent this message. And Abathar, the priest, say to the elders of Judah, Why should you be the last to bring the king back to his house? has come to the king. You are my brothers. You are my bone and my flesh. Why then should you be commander of my army from now on in place of Joab? And he swayed the heart of all the men of Judah as one man, so that they sent word to the king, Return, both you and all your servants came back to the Jordan and Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and to bring the king over the Jordan. Now look at verse 41. Then all the men of Judah said to the king, Why have our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king and his house to Jordan and all David's men with him? All the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, because the king is our close relative. Are you angry over this matter? Have we eaten at all at the king's expense? Or has he given us any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, We have ten shares in the king. And in David, we also have more than you. Were we not first to speak of bringing back our king? But the words of the
Be seated. So, as I already said, in spite of David's and remains fractured. Following the Civil War, knew that the only way forward was to return in allegiance to David and to show them they would need to go to Gilgal and escort him back into the royal city. There were not only rebels in the ten northern tribes of Israel, there were also rebels from his own tribe, Judah. Remember last week, Ahithophel, Absalom's chief advisor? He was from Judah. His army, Amasa, he was from Judah. The conspiracy was hatched in Hebron, which is also in Judah. And David wants peace with all of the tribes, not just the ten He wants there to be unity in this nation, and he is making every effort to have that. And so, he sends a message to the elders of Judah to come and to join the other tribes to bring him back into Jerusalem and to show them that reconciliation not To show this, he says that Amasa will be the new commander of his army in place of Joab. The very guy who led the rebellion army in the previous chapters. Promotion of Joab in response to Joab killing Absalom, but I think it's also a towards those who had rebelled against him. And it works. The people of Judah come to him. Towards his own tribe. And Judah throws fuel on the fire. He says, the king is our close relative. The ten tribes of Judah say, oh yeah, well, we, we have a bigger portion than Judah. There are ten of us. The whole thing turns into a screaming match. David has made all everybody together and what is the scene that we see on Gilgal? It's like daytime television. It's like the church, so to speak, the people of God acting just like So the chapter closes by saying that the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. Judah had won the screaming match. Look at chapter 20, verse 1. Now there happened to be there a worthless man whose name was Sheba, son of B- 
inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. So all the men of Israel and David and followed Sheba, the son of Bichri. In spite of all of David's efforts, the church today. We know that God's kingdom is forever. But how do we find hope in the midst of a fractured kingdom? The first respond to God's king says so much about our standing kingdom. In our passage today, we see both right responses and wrong responses. David is not a perfect king. I think we've established that. And he is certainly not the ultimate. But how people respond to the king who is now returning to Jerusalem is instructive we respond to the ultimate King, King Jesus. So we're going to look at a right response and a wrong response. Meet David in chapter 19. And the wrong response will be seen through two people in 20. So let's begin with the right response. There are three people who come to meet David between these two sections that we read earlier. You've got Shimei, Mephibosheth, and I'm going to simply focus our attention on the last two. Mephibosheth and Barzilla. Loyal to the king. And that's the right response. So what's the right response to the king? Loyalty to the king. But while both were loyal... These men were very different from one another. They teach us that we can be loyal to the king whether we have a lot to offer or whether we have... offer. Barzillai had much to offer. He was a very wealthy man. We read about him in verse 1 to 32. Now Barzillai, the Gileadite, had come down from Rogalim on with the king to the Jordan to escort him over the Jordan. Barzillai was a very aged man, years old. He had provided the king with food while he stayed in Mahanaim, for he was a wealthy man. So when David was fleeing Jerusalem in the passage last week, took care of David out of his wealth. He showed loyalty to the king generosity. And David wants to repay his faithfulness by bringing him back to the capital. To read in these verses, Barzillai says, I'm so old, I can't even enjoy all of the luxuries of life. So he's not only wealthy, but there's something that is 
those who are wealthy want more and more and more. But Barzillai is content with what he has. He's content to stay where he's at and to let his servant, Chimham, go to Jerusalem. And David accepts this arrangement and blesses Barzillai. Clearly, a man. is Barzillai and that he also was loyal to the king. Remember last week when fleeing Jerusalem, he ran into Mephibosheth's servant Ziba. And Ziba lied to David told him that Mephibosheth was not loyal to him. He told him that he had hoped to get back his father Jonathan's To meet David, there is some question as to where Mephibosheth's loyalty lies. And his words begin to call into question Ziba's report. He looks, that's his appearance. He is unkempt. He hadn't taken a bath or shaved since David left town. Meaning of all of this. I think it is meant to show us that he is in mourning. Why is he in mourning? He is in mourning because his king has been Five. He speaks and it becomes clear that he's been loyal. David asks him why with him before when he fled to Jerusalem. And Mephibosheth says it's because Ziba. My translation from the Hebrew is that he told him that he'd send an Uber for him. And Mephibosheth is lame, so he can't get around very well on his own. Mephibosheth knows that this may all sound Suspect. God. Do therefore whatever seems good to you. For all my father's house to death before my Lord the King. But you set your servant among those who at your table. What further right have I then? to cry to the king. In other words, so he won't try to give an elaborate defense for his loyalty now. He'll simply trust himself to that same grace and loving kindness that he had showed before. David, in what follows, I think, is still testing Mephibosheth's loyalty. I think he knows there's one more test. He says in verse 29 that the matter is settled. I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. Commentators why David made this decision. But I think 
what he's doing here is very similar. Where the truth lies. Remember when the two prostitutes came to Solomon with a baby? Arguing about who it belonged to? And Solomon said, I'll divide it in half. You can eat half. And one of the women present there said, No! Give the whole thing to her! Thus proved that she was the true mother. In a similar way, Mephibosheth says to the king, divide the land. Oh, let him take it all. Since the Lord the King has come. Heba lied. But this is the point I want you to get. He proved that he loved David that he had received from him, not from any material prosperity that he could get. Both content that David is now God's man reigning over God's people. Barzillai had so much to David to prove his loyalty. Mephibosheth, nothing to give. Lame. Disabled. Special needs. Poor. All that he has is a result of David's grace. It reminds me of the last I would give a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet, what can I His full loyalty to David, because that's all that he had to give. Same can be true for each of you here. Whether you have little to give in terms of money, in terms of talent, by being loyal to His King. By putting your faith and your trust in Jesus. So we've seen a right response to God's King. Let's now turn to chapter 20 to wrong response. Obviously, the wrong response is right there in the heading. Rebellion. So a right response, loyalty. Wrong response, rebellion. He's trying to secede from the union, so to speak. Similar to in 1 Kings chapter 12. In fact, the same language that he uses is used with Jeroboam's rebellion. 
But as David seeks this, a rebel that never leaves the king, a rebel that another kingdom, a rebel who remains outwardly loyal and who remains of God's kingdom. His name is Joab. In verse 2, David gives orders to Amasa, the new commander of his army. He calls him to call on the men of together to assemble them. But for some reason, in verse 5, we see he's delayed. And so in verse 6, he calls on Abishai, Joab's brother, to call in special ops. To go after Sheba. But here's the thing. The special ops team in Judah included Joab's army. It included Joab's men. So they go on their way. They meet up with Amasa. And here we see Joab's first act of rebellion. Look at verses 8. Asa came to meet them. Now Joab was wearing a soldier's garment, and over it was a belt with a sword fastened on his thigh. And as he went forward, it fell out. And Joab said to Amasa, Is it well with you, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. Observed the sword that was in Joab's hand. So Joab struck him with it in the stomach, pulled his entrails to the ground without striking a second blow, and he died. Amasa, remember, is now David's commander. But he's in Joab's way. And what does Joab do when he kills them. This is the third cold-blooded murder by Joab in 2 Samuel. He did the same thing to Abner, who, by the way, was a man that David had put in charge over his army. He did the same thing to Absalom, David's son, David's explicit command. All of Joab's actions... to take the throne from David. He never leads an outright rebellion against David, but he is loyal to David on his own terms. Not on David's terms. To David, but he does not do David's will. Don't anything. it staying in the church serving 
in the church. Get in their way so they can do their thing their way. Lay people who will leave this church and go to that church and then to another church so that they can do ministry their way. And all the time in the name of expanding efficiently and effectively. And people will line up to support them and to follow them. That's what we see in verse 11. One of Joab's young men took his stand by Amasa. Let him follow Joab. Do you see what's happening here? He's equating following Joab and Joab's way is following the king. But following Joab is not following the king's way. And it certainly was not following the king's will. David's will was for has staged the rebellion, but Joab is really leading in the rebellion. Sheba's rebellion didn't get much traction. After he left Gilgal, verse 2, with all the men of Israel, by the time he gets to the far northern border of Israel, the only people who are still with him are his own family. 14. And Sheba passed through all the tribes of Israel to Abel, Beth, Ma. Just his family. The dominant rebel is now Joab. Saving David's banner. And when Joab gets to Abel of Beth Makkah, he plans to see his lust for more blood and more power. She says to him, It doesn't make any sense that you would in the kingdom that the king is trying to to save. Listen should swallow up or destroy the very thing he has done his whole life. True, he says. But a man of the hill country of Ephraim called Sheba, the son of Bichri, has lifted up his hand over the wall. Then the woman went to all the people in her wisdom, and they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of to Joab. So he blew the trumpet, and they dispersed from the city, every man to his home. Returned to Jerusalem to the king. It's interesting. At the beginning of the chapter, after Sheba, well, here in the, in this part
Those are the exact same words used of Sheba at the beginning of the chapter. wonder, is this the author's way of saying what I've been trying to say all along? There are two in Israel. One who is in outright rebellion against David and the other who claims but who is also rebelling against him. He won't submit to the king's will and the king's both need to be dealt with. Neither have a rightful place in David and certainly not in the kingdom of God. But one thinks all along. I'm simply trying to be loyal to my king, but my king doesn't know the right way to do it my own way. It reminds me of what Jesus said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But who to the king all the while living as a rebel to the king. Regardless, will have no lasting standing in the kingdom of heaven. But when we turn to the last section of chapter 20, we see there that last paragraph in verse 23 that not only is Joab he's back in command of the army of Israel. However, he will be removed. You just have to wait until Second First Kings two to see how it all comes down. That is the most important question that any person can ever answer. Are you to him? Or are you in outright rebellion to him? But you veil your treachery with lip service to loyalty. be any grievous way within me and then lead me in the path. Your response to the king determines your place in God's kingdom. So we've seen living in a fractured world of the promise of God's kingdom. It is. We don't read this explicitly in our passage, but I see two hints of it. The first is in the summary in verses 23 to 26. The summary is very similar and see it at the very end of the chapter. After David, in chapter 7, had been promised a kingdom that would endure forever, 
after he then defeated his enemies, we read that David reigned over all of Israel. And David The summary in our chapter, verses 23 to 26, is structured identically. It's just no longer administering justice and equity. And Joab's still in office, although he shouldn't be. Verse 24, we see this strange insertion that somebody is now over forced labor. Forced labor? It is still an intact kingdom. And the promise of an everlasting kingdom ringing in our ears as we read this summary. There is hope forever. strangely enough, is found in the head of Sheba that is thrown over the wall of the city. It's no surprise that this rebel's defeat involves lopping off downfalls in Samuel have been the result of some kind of head injury. Eli fell, broke his neck, and died. Dagon fell, and his head broke off. was cut off. Saul's head was cut off. Ishbosheth, the first to lead a rebellion against David, was cut off. Absalom's head got caught in the tree before he was run through. Now Sheba's head is cut off. God before He ever made a promise to David, He made a promise to Eve. Of promise, but that the offspring of promise would one day crush the head promised offspring of Eve, the promised offspring of Abraham, the promised offspring of David. All of the adversaries of King Jesus. His kingdom is for And all who rebel against the King, whether those inside the church or outside of the church, will come under God's judgment. But all who are loyal to the King will be safe cure. That is the good news for us today. And it's not because of anything that we do. Those who are loyal to the king, like Mephibosheth before them, trust themselves to the mercy of the king. A better king than David. A king who was without sin, unlike a king who laid down his life for our sins on the cross. His 
future. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us promises that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I pray these promises would strengthen us in a world that presents so many threats, is seeking to throw us down, and where our own flesh that you would grant us faith a loyal faith to the king and a faith that your promises is larger than the difficulties in our life we ask in Jesus name